Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. Author Neil Rosendahl joins us today to talk about one of the greatest players in football history, a real pioneer and trailblazer, Duke Slater, and his career with Iowa and in the NFL with the Rock Island Independents as well as the Chicago Cardinals. Neil's coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And we have a great episode on store for you. We have a great topic in the player of Duke Slater, a very interesting figure in football history. And we have an author that's wrote a book about him. Neil Rosendahl is his name. And we'll welcome into the Pigpen right now. Neil Rosendahl, welcome to the Pigpen. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. We really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk about you know some great football history, and especially uh, one man named Duke Slater that was very important to that football history. Uh, but before we do that, I'd like to learn a little bit about you. Uh, you know, what what got you particularly interested in football, and maybe uh, in particular what about Duke Slater? Uh, yeah, well, I'm a Hawkeye fan. Uh, I grew up uh, in the state of Iowa and attended the University of Iowa. So I, uh, I've, I've always loved the Hawkeyes and um, I, I've, I've loved sports history. Um, that's something that has always sort of appealed to me. And uh, that's why I love uh, podcasts like this, uh, because I, I really love delving into the history of the sport and kind of making it, uh, especially for for current fans to kind of bring it to life, uh, especially stories of people that they may not remember or may have uh, been before their time. And um, it's, it's kind of interesting because I know you guys here uh, do a lot of uh, uh, you're connected with this uh, sports dispatch and you do a lot with, with Jersey numbers. And actually uh, the first book that I ever wrote, uh, I co-authored a book called Hawkeye greats by the numbers. And basically it, uh, it mentioned the greatest Hawkeye uh, football or men's basketball player, uh, by the jersey numbers they wore. So uh, we picked the greatest Hawkeye football or men's basketball player that wore jersey number one, jersey number two, all the way up through jersey number 50. And uh, we selected uh, what we considered to be the greatest Hawkeye football or men's basketball player to wear each specific jersey. And then for that player, we wrote a, a short chapter about him, and that was the book. And um, chapter uh, 15 came along, and uh, the greatest Hawkeye uh, player, a uh, football uh, player who wore jersey number 15 in our estimation was Duke Slater. And I had been interested in Duke Slater for a while. I had heard about his story and it's Duke Slater is one of these stories that when you hear a little bit about him, you just hear more and more and more stories. And I just became increasingly fascinated by this guy. 
And uh, I was fortunate enough to write the chapter on Duke Slater for that book, Hawkeye Greats by the Numbers. But it was he had one of these stories where I just said, you know what, I could write a whole book just about him. And uh, as someone who's a writer, that's kind of a, a dangerous thing to say because uh, uh, it sort of uh, becomes destiny in some sense. Um, so I wound up uh, deciding to write a book about him. And I, I published uh, his biography back in 2012. And, um, you know, one of the things about writing the book was he'd kind of been forgotten. He'd kind of been overlooked. And I wanted to get him more recognition. I want to kind of bring him back into the public eye. And I'm so uh, thankful and, and grateful to be able to say that really over the last decade, um, we have really elevated uh, Duke Slater's legacy sort of in the public consciousness. He's been honored in a number of ways, which have been really outstanding. And it's been great to see because I think more and more people have heard this story and learned about Duke Slater. And it's just an incredible story. So it was, it was really an honor for me to tell. Well, he, he is definitely a great player. And I had the honor and the privilege uh, last uh, year to be at the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the induction ceremonies. I'm, I'm from Western Pennsylvania. So there was, uh, you know, a, a bunch of Steelers going in and you had two different years. You had the COVID year 2020 going in and the year 2021 class going in. And Duke Slater, I believe, was part of that 2020 class uh, going in at that time for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So it was quite an honor to sit there, even though he wasn't present uh you know it was uh it was a great honor to just have the the legacy and have the the chat and uh some of the the things popping up on the screen some scenes and pictures of him and uh you know his presenter so it was, it was great that feeling there yeah it was actually one of the uh, uh the best weekends i've had honestly because i actually uh and and you know this because you were there but because uh because of the way it was set up. So um, when I wrote the book on Duke Slater, one of my main goals was to try to lobby for him to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And of course, uh, to lobby for someone to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it is the competition is so stiff. Everybody wants in the Hall of Fame and there are so many worthy people. And I just, I, I was lobbying for years to hopefully get that done. And then he was finally elected as part of that centennial class in, in 2020. And so here we, we were, he was going to get his long awaited induction and then COVID hits and it, it, yeah. it can't thing or postpones it at least for a year. And, and what wound up happening was, and again, you know, this because you were there was they had so many people being uh, recognized in 2021 because they had the supersized centennial class plus the 2021 class, um, two classes coming together and one of them being particularly large. The way that they handled that was they had sort of an induction ceremony before the main induction ceremony, just for the guys who were going in, in posthumously. Uh, people like Duke Slater, who were deceased, who were going in, they sort of had a special ceremony for them earlier, uh, just so they could kind of, uh, I guess, control the numbers in a lot of ways. So I was actually able to be invited to uh, that Hall of Fame ceremony that recognized the uh, the players who were going in posthumously like Duke Slater. Um, after writing the book, I was able to connect with uh, Sandra Wilkins, who is Duke Slater's niece. Uh, she's still alive. She's still around. And um, she invited me as a guest of the family uh, to this Hall of Fame uh, induction. And uh, it was it was an incredible weekend. It was amazing to see him be honored in that way and to get his bust in Canton, Ohio, where he belongs so that he can uh, be there for all time. It was it was an amazing weekend, an amazing event. And it was uh, it was really thrilling to be there as sort of the culmination of 
of almost a decade long campaign uh, that I tried to put together to get him recognized in Canton and to see it come to fruition was uh, was really, really meaningful. Well, as uh, the guy said, used to say on the A team, you got to love it when a plan comes together. And you, you, you were a great part of that. And uh, we appreciate you preserving that football history. And I think everybody in the football community applauds you and everybody else that uh, you know fought for getting Duke Slater in there because he's definitely uh, worthy of being there. That's for sure. So. Yeah. I, he, I, he definitely is. And, and, you know, it's all about sort of preserving his legacy. You know, I think John Madden uh, was the one who said it in his induction speech. Like he always envisioned when the lights go down that all the bus sort of talk to each other uh, at night, you know, <laughs> and talk football. And I just, I always felt so strongly that Duke Slater needed to be part of that conversation. He needed to have his voice there because of what he went through as one of the greatest players uh, in the NFL in the 1920s. And to do it as, as a black man and the first black lineman in the history of the NFL, um, his was a voice that needed to be in that room when those lights go down. And now it is and it will be forever. And I think as, as people come to visit uh, Canton, Ohio, a year from now, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, they'll be able to see his bus there and be able to, to say, hey, who is, who is he? And learn more about him and discover his story. And that's an amazing thing that that'll be a preserve for history. I think that's, that's just so, so meaningful and so wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess uh, I, I I apologize. I have not announced the name of your title of your book, and we're going to do it here a bunch of times. But the title of your book is Duke Slater, Pioneering Black NFL Player and Judge, uh, Neil Rosendahl as the author. So I'll make sure we mention that. Now, uh, why don't you uh, let us know where, where that's available, where people can get that? Uh, absolutely. It was uh, published by uh, McFarland uh, and Company um, back like I said, about 10 years ago. So you can get it um, in, I think there are some bookstores that carry it, but the best way to get it uh, generally is online. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any, any online retailer can really get it for you. Or, or of course, uh, uh, maybe uh, the, the best way from my personal viewpoint, uh, if you want to do it this way, is you can go to dukeslater.com, which is my website. And uh, if you go to dukeslater.com, it will uh, take you to a page where you can order it right off the website directly from me and helps me out a little bit more as an author. But, uh, but honestly, however you get the book, if you want to go out and get the book, however you get the book uh, is, is fine by me because uh, I just want people to hear the story and, 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 and learn more about this amazing guy. Well, very well said. Well, why don't we go back to the beginnings of Duke Slater? We sort of jumped ahead, told, told everybody the outcome. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And we alluded to earlier, uh, you know, Iowa, and that's how you became uh, associated with him and got, gained a lot of interest on him. So why don't you tell us how, what happened before he was at Iowa and got uh, you know, him involved in football? Well, he actually was uh, raised on, he was born in Normal, Illinois, but he grew up uh, on the south side of Chicago, and he spent uh, his childhood years there on the south side of Chicago, and he loved the sport of football uh, from the very beginning, um, from being a, a young kid, and the interesting thing about it was he loved the tackling. He loved uh, being a lineman. And the thing was, whenever there was a neighborhood game going up, there was always a, a place for Duke Slater because there was always people who wanted to be the ball carriers. They wanted to carry mm -hmm. the ball, wanted to, you know, catch the ball, do all that stuff. But they always needed linemen. 
So he always had a, a, a game, uh, the ability to uh, to find a neighborhood game. And that's where he learned the game of football. It was on the streets of the south side of Chicago. And his father, George, uh, George Slater, was a strong, strong influence in Duke Slater's life. Uh, George Slater was a, uh, a minister, an AME minister. And uh, he actually, George Slater... Um, became the pastor, the head pastor at an AME church in Clinton, Iowa, when Duke Slater was 13 years old. And that's what uh, uh, had uh, Duke Slater relocate from the south side of Chicago to the state of Iowa, to Clinton, Iowa. Clinton is a uh, Mississippi River town. Uh, it's a, a, a little uh, city on the, uh, the shores of the Mississippi River, just on the, the Iowa side there. And uh, that wound up being where, where Duke Slater attended high school. And then being in, in the state of Iowa, that wound up leading him uh, to the University of Iowa and on to his, his football fame. But um, that, that was sort of his, uh, uh, his upbringing. And again, his father was uh, uh, a huge influence on his life, uh, not only uh, from a football perspective, but uh, obviously off the field. Uh, he made a real imprint on Duke Slater and raised him right, and he became uh, uh, an upstanding man and, uh, of course, an amazing person. Okay, and uh, just to let the listeners know the the time uh, period that we're talking about, you know, uh, Duke Slater was born in 1898, so this is early 20th century, early football. Uh, you know, putting it in perspective, you know, the NFL doesn't start as the APFA until 1920. So this is uh, really at the the grassroots of, of football here that he's he's playing, even on the sandlots. Yeah, a true, honestly, a true a pioneer in terms of you know, the time period he was, uh, he, he played three, he actually only played three seasons at Clinton high school from 1913 to 1915. And then he played at the university of Iowa just after world war one, uh, is your time period. He was, uh, to our knowledge, the third, uh, documented black player, uh, in the history of the Hawkeye football program. And even that was, uh, fairly unusual to be the third because most uh, football programs, even up North, uh, uh, a number of football programs had not even had a black player by that point. So um, he really was a, uh, a pioneer for black players in a, in a very early era of, of football. And uh, he wound up uh, becoming one of the most, uh, one, honestly, without exaggeration, one of the most dominant football players that, uh, that college football had ever uh, seen in his career. And he just carried that uh, into the NFL. And uh, I'm assuming back, this is back of single platoon football. So he's playing both sides of the line, offense and defense. Uh, Duke Slater was actually known, uh, uh, well, particularly in the NFL, for playing all 60 minutes of the game. He'd play offense, defense, special teams. He would run punts down. He would, you know, he blocked for the, for the kickoff uh, uh, team, you know, for the kick returners. Uh, he, he would uh, never leave the field for uh, his time in Rock Island, um, he, I think had, he played all 60 minutes, which was not unheard of in those days, but he would play all 60 minutes of every game for an entire season. And then he did that season after season for, uh, almost every game that he played in, in rock Island, uh, for years and years in a row. And that was particularly unusual to, it wasn't unusual to play all 60 minutes, but to do it game after game, season after season was, was highly unusual. And, uh, he was a tackle. Uh, he, uh, he played, uh, uh, offensive tackle, uh, while on offense and then, uh, on defense, he played defensive end. So he was, uh, uh, someone who obviously 
as both an offensive tackle and a defensive end, someone who had a, a, a very strong impact on the game. Uh, although again, uh, not as someone who didn't carry the ball, maybe uh, someone who might be overlooked by some, but, um, but he had a dramatic impact on the game from, from those positions and uh, uh, just a phenomenal two-way player. Well, you know, that especially the era and the positions that he's playing in to play every minute of every game, season upon season. I mean, that is quite a testament to the guy must have been one tough hombre to be able to take that because it was a lot more brutal than uh, the football that we know today. Even, you know, by today's standards, it's uh, it's pretty brutal. Well, and also you you imagine the fact that as a black player and there weren't a ton of documented stories about this but you know as a black player that he was subject to cheap shots late hits you know all those kinds of things um so yes to be able to to play and to stay in there and to to do it game after game season after season was incredible and it's funny because you know i tell this story and i i mentioned how his father had had such a huge influence on him uh his Duke Slater only played three seasons of high school football. And the reason for that was his father did not want him playing football. His father thought that football was a game for roughnecks. And his father was legitimately afraid that he'd be seriously hurt. And, you know, and this was an era where people were dying on the football field. So it wasn't uh, uh, an an ill-founded sort of fear that his father had. Well, his father eventually relented and allowed him to play, but he did so by forcing Duke Slater to promise that he would take every precaution to not get hurt. And it's, it's interesting to, you know, hear that what, what happened was in, in his high school days, he would come home, beat up, sore, whatever else. Duke Slater worked very hard to conceal his injuries to basically, if he had a bump or a bruise or a limp or whatever else, he would hide it from his father because he didn't want his father to become so worried about uh, uh, the physical nature of the game that he would sort of pull Duke Slater from the sport. He didn't want his dad to essentially say, okay, you're done because you're going to get hurt out there. So Slater, you know, Duke Slater kind of became, uh, it became ingrained with him to, you know, hide his injuries. And he continued that even through college, even through the uh, pro level, and it almost added this sort of uh, this sort of aura uh, uh, to him of being um, uh, invincible, of like being impervious to pain. Like people would be like, you can't you can't hurt him. You can't shake him. You can't rattle him. Um, you know, it was it was he was one of those guys where a lot of guys, if they were shaken up, they would kind of take a timeout. You know, just not an official timeout, but just sort of a timeout to catch their breath on the field and whatever. And it was known that the game rarely stopped because Duke Slater was hurt uh, because it was one of these. He was one of these guys who, you know, almost put on this aura like like I can't be hurt. And, you know, that was something that I think helped fuel him and kind of added this sort of, uh, uh, you know, mythology to almost the way that Duke Slater played the game that was uh, really impressive. And, uh, and, and it's, it's interesting to look back on now, you know, that's how, how regarded he was in, in that day. Yeah. I, uh, it's making me a little bit of embarrassed. I get up every morning and complain about, you know, a sore elbow or something. This guy's, you know, getting a snot kicked out of him and, and, you know, pounding away at some other big, big guy for, you know, and they're, they're playing more than one game a week uh, sometimes, especially when he was with rock Island and, 
you know, just to take that punishment and to hide it from people, especially your father and uh, keep on playing. That's uh, wow. That's quite a testament to, to who he is. So amazing. Thank you for yeah. sharing that with us. Now let's go back into his Iowa uh, team. So he, he's, did he play all four years at Iowa? He played four years at Iowa because his first season in 1918 uh, was at the height of World War II, uh, World War One, and eligibility rules were suspended. So he was actually allowed to play that season and then allowed to play uh, the three seasons that players typically got uh, uh, during those days. Uh, he played the 1918 season, and it was known that that wouldn't count against him. So he was actually able to play four years. Um, he was a first-team All-American um, in, well, he was, a uh, actually he was, a uh, an All-American in, uh, he was a second team All-American in 1919, his sophomore season. He was, uh, one of the first uh, black players in the history of college football to name, uh, to be named, uh, an All-American and to earn All-American honors. I believe he was something like the sixth black player, uh, to ever earn All-American honors behind guys like, uh, Paul Robeson, Fritz Pollard and, 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 and others like that. But, um, then in 1921, that was really the year that shot him to uh, really collegiate fame. He was uh, uh, a rock on uh, Iowa's 1921 team, which might be the greatest team in the history of the University of Iowa football program. Um, the Hawkeyes went undefeated, uh, untied. Uh, in fact, uh, they never trailed at any point in the season. Um, they never trailed an opponent. Um, they won the outright Big Ten championship for the first time in school history. Um, and they have a legitimate claim uh, for the mythical national championship of that year. Of course, national titles back then, well open to dispute, very much a mythical national championship. But the University of Iowa has as good a claim as any uh, school to the uh, uh, the mythical uh, national championship of the 1921 football season. Um, the marquee victory for Iowa in 1921 was a victory over uh, Notre Dame, a non-conference victory over Notre Dame. Iowa beat Notre Dame 10 to 7. It snapped a 20-game uh, winning streak for Notre Dame that had lasted three years. Um, Notre Dame hadn't lost a football game in three years. They lost that one. Uh, and uh, it's it's what's fascinating about that is that uh, Notre Dame's head coach was Newt Rockney and Newt Rockney said later in the season, he said, uh, we had heard about the great uh, strength of Duke Slater and uh, knowing uh, his great strength, uh, we decided to throw three guys at him uh, uh, on any given play. Uh, we'd send three guys after Duke Slater. He's like, sometimes uh, Newt Rockney said, uh, said this in a quote. He said, sometimes we were able to slow him down, but more often than not, he just ripped uh, wide holes in our, in our line that allowed the, uh, the fullbacks to pick up yards and, and eventually Iowa to, uh, uh, to pick up the 10 to seven upset over Notre Dame. Um, it's, it was uh, really notable because Duke Slater was really the, um, uh, the first black player in the history of college football to play a, 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 a prominent role on a, uh, a team that was, could be considered a mythical national championship contender. And so uh, Duke Slater was, uh, had an incredible legacy in football. Um, when the College Football Hall of Fame opened in 1951, uh, Duke Slater was the only black player in the inaugural class. He was the first black player inducted to the College Football Hall of Fame, uh, the only black player 
elected when it opened in 1951. And uh, even for years after, there were people who um, selected an all-time uh, college football team in 1946. They did a, a poll and they 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 polled over 200 sports writers, and they said they said pick your your best 11, the 11 players who would be on the all-time uh, college football team. Uh, and they'd select players like Jim Thorpe and, and other players like that, Ernie Nevers, and, uh, and Duke Slater was one of the individuals selected for the all-time college football team uh, in 1946. That's the sort of esteem and acclaim he was held in for his college career. And uh, uh, being obviously so successful in college, that's really what opened the door for him to go into the NFL, which obviously the NFL was not open to very many black players at that time. Um, but uh, Duke Slater's widespread fame for his collegiate career is really what helped uh, launch his NFL career. And uh, he, he went on from there. Well, that's a uh, great, uh, great stories and great uh, memories to have of a great player for, at Iowa. So it was uh, his first team in the, the what's now NFL Rock Island. Was that his first team? Yes, it was uh, the Rock Island Independence. And uh, they were an NFL team that was located in Rock Island, Illinois which is just uh, on the other side of the Mississippi River from Iowa, so fairly close to Iowa. Um, and he played uh, five seasons uh, with the Rock Island Independence. It's, you know, he uh, actually on October 1st of this year was the 100th anniversary of Duke Slater's debut in the NFL. Uh, when Duke Slater made his debut in the NFL, um, he was the first black lineman in the history of the National Football League. Um, he made his debut on October 1st, 1922. Uh, the Rock Island Independents played the Green Bay Packers in that game. And uh, Duke helped lead Rock Island to an upset of the Packers uh, when he broke through on Green Bay's final drive of the game. Uh, he broke through twice and twice swatted down uh, Green Bay passes from uh, Packers quarterback Curly Lambeau. And he swatted the passes down twice and he forced uh, helped force a Packers punt. And uh, the Rock Island Independents held on for a 1913, I believe, victory in that game. But uh, that was when he made his debut with Rock Island and was one of the greatest players uh, in the history of that franchise, which, of course, did not last. Um, uh, they, uh, but they're, they're one of the great uh, teams of the 1920s when you think of early era NFL. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's how he got his start. And then he spent his final uh, five, five plus years of his career with the Chicago Cardinals, um, who of course are now known as the Arizona Cardinals, but, uh, uh that's how he, he, he started his career. And I, I want to mention too, what's interesting about his time in Rock Island was you mentioned the work ethic. One of the things that's amazing about Duke Slater is the work ethic that he had. Um, he graduated from the university of Iowa and then he enrolled at university of Iowa law school. And, one of the things he would do was he would attend uh, the University of Iowa College of Law. He'd attend law classes on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, early in the week. And when he was done with that, then he'd make the trek out to Rock Island, uh, which is in the Quad Cities, about uh, an hour's drive away today, probably a little longer back in those days. But um, he'd go out to Rock Island, and then he'd practice with the Rock Island Independence for a few days, and then play an NFL game on Sunday. And on a Monday, he'd be right back in Iowa City for his law classes again. And, you know, you think about a guy like that who's, you know, attending law classes, 
and going to NFL games. And, 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 you know, you mentioned it, it's like some days I, you know, I have a hard time getting motivated to get out of bed in the morning. And here's a guy who's in the NFL and in law school at the same time. It's, it's, it's incredible the work ethic that he had. And that's a, a definitely a big part of his story and a big part of his legacy is just that uh, uh, he was someone who was always uh, uh, working extremely hard to, uh, uh, to, you know, not only for himself, but also to, uh, you know, to, to give people a good impression of his family and uh, to stand up for his race and to stand up for, you know, what black athletes could do in that era and what black athletes could be and set a good example uh, for the guys that followed. And uh, uh, yeah, again, it's, uh, uh, th- he had some amazing days in, in Rock Island and uh, yep, that's where he got to start. Wow. That's uh, really inspirational to hear that. And it had to be an inspiration to, to younger people, you know, not only of African-American descent, but even anybody that heard his story, but I had to, you know, you're working real hard, you're playing football and you're going to school and making that journey. That's a, a lot of, a lot to do. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good, good uh, role model to be. So, okay. So he, uh, with Rock Island, he, he moved to the, the Cardinals, as you said, and he had s- some uh, good success with the Cardinals, too. Oh, absolutely. Well, he had some great moments with with Rock Island. I, I always tell the, the story that his best season with Rock Island Independence was in 1924. Um, Rock Island normally was not really much of a factor uh, in the NFL. But um, but in 1924, after the first month of the season, Rock Island was actually undefeated and, and on top of the uh, uh, the NFL standings. And then Rock Island had a game down in Kansas City against an expansion team called the Kansas City Blues. And uh, because it was in Kansas City, uh, Duke Slater was not allowed to play. Uh, they had a gentleman's agreement that black players did not play in NFL games in the state of Missouri, which was a state that was very hostile toward African-Americans. And so Duke Slater sat out that game. Uh, Rock Island lost that game despite the fact that uh 10 of their 11 starters were were in that game that had started the previous games the only uh, starter who's had to sit that game out was duke slater uh by rule and um uh they rock island suffered an upset loss in that game and um a few weeks later kansas city had to go to rock island had a return match in rock island illinois because the game was played in rock island duke slater was allowed to play and uh, he was a, uh, a dominant force for them again in that game. It was a really meaningful game. Uh, and Rock Island wound up uh, shutting Kansas City out 17 to nothing. But, um, but unfortunately, the, uh, the damage was done. Rock Island ended the year with two losses, which was one more than, uh, than uh, uh, the NFL champion Canton Bulldogs that year. So uh, that, uh, that was the one thing that kept him out. And, and what I tell people is, Duke Slater in a 10-year NFL career, we talk about how durable he was. The only game he missed in a 10-year NFL career was that game. It was not due to injury. It was not really? due to illness <laughs> because he was sidelined by rule uh, by that uh, gentleman's agreement that existed back then. And, um, and Duke Slater wound up, ironically enough, wound up playing 99 uh, professional football games in the NFL and AFL combined. Uh, he was one game short of playing 100 uh, football games in his pro football career and uh, it was because of the one game that they made him sit out so um so yeah he uh, he had some great moments in rock island he was uh perennial all pro in rock island well the rock island uh, franchise actually folded after the 1926 season and um duke slater was uh was quickly signed by the chicago cardinals 
for a couple of games that season and then beginning at, uh, full-time in 1927. And the Chicago Cardinals, for, for listeners who don't know or don't remember, um, you know, back in the day, uh, the, the Chicago Cardinals were the other NFL team in Chicago alongside the Chicago Bears. And the Bears and Cardinals had sort of a, a Cubs-White Sox type of hold uh, uh, on pro football. The, the, the Bears were the north side. The Bears were like the Cubs. They were on the north side, kind of white collar, you know, maybe a little more affluent. And then uh, like the White Sox, the uh, Chicago Cardinals were the South Siders. You know, they were blue collar, a little scruffier, a little, you know, a little more hard hat. And the other thing about that was the South Side of Chicago, there was a huge black metropolis. And in fact, that was where Duke Slater had grown up. He'd grown up on the South Side of Chicago. So the Chicago Cardinals signed Duke Slater, Duke was able to return to uh, the city where he grew up, the city where he had been raised. Um, and uh, the Chicago Cardinals loved it because now they had a box office draw where a lot of the black football fans, a lot of those, those uh, fans in uh, that black metropolis, uh, those black citizens on the South side of Chicago, they came to Cardinals games because they wanted to see one of their own. They wanted to see Duke Slater uh, on the line playing for the Cardinals. And so it worked out sort of both ways. The Cardinals got uh, a really good player. Duke Slater got to go to, uh, to his, his old hometown and, uh, and the Cardinals got a box office draw that appealed to, uh, to the black football fans there. So it kind of worked all around and that's where uh, Duke Slater finished out his career uh, in the final few years of, of his career and, and had tremendous success there too. Wow. That's uh, great to have a hometown hero coming in and playing for you. So that had to be a great draw, like you said. So yeah, tremendous. And it had to be good for him too. It had to, you know, you're a little, little bit long in the tooth uh, coming in there and maybe that gives you a little bit of burst of energy. You have some, some people that, you know, in the stands and really cheering for you because they, they helped uh, develop you into the player you are. So that's great stuff. Okay. So, Got his finishing up law school already when he, he finished that up with Rock Island, or did he still continue that when he's with the Cardinals? Yeah, he still continued uh, with, when he was with the Cardinals. He actually graduated from the University of Iowa College of Law in 1928. Um, and I, 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 you know, I want to mention too with his football playing in Chicago, what's really incredible about uh, him is that for most of the late 1920s, he was the only black player in the entire NFL. There were several black players in the NFL in the early to mid 1920s. And then uh, after 1926, uh, the owners in, in the NFL were kind of trying to follow baseball's lead and kind of uh, knock black players out of the league. Um, in 1927, uh, every single black player in the league, there had been like six black players in pro football in 1926. In 1927, all of them had left pro football except for Duke Slater. Duke Slater was the only black player in the NFL in 1927. And a large part of that was the fact that Duke Slater had been an all pro the last, you know, four years running. Um, he had been one of the best, not only black players, one of the best players, period, one of the best linemen in football. And, uh, you know, he was, you know, there's a quote in the book, uh, a biography that I wrote on Duke Slater, where they said, uh, if, uh, if, um, if owners had had blackballed Duke Slater, uh, fans would have questioned uh, not only the uh, the owner's integrity, but also their sanity, because Duke Slater was so good. He was one of those guys that they couldn't blackball. And so um, um, uh, Duke actually uh, uh, lobbied 
for the Chicago Cardinals to, to sign another black player. And uh, the Cardinals signed a, another black player named Harold Bradley, who was the second black lineman in NFL history. Uh, he played two games alongside Duke Slater in 1928 before Harold Bradley was cut. But aside from those two games uh, by Harold Bradley in 1928, Duke Slater was the only black player in the NFL from 1927 through 1929. And um, so Duke Slater was the only black player in the NFL in 1927 and 1929. And yet he was an, uh, an all pro of both seasons. <laughs> so that tells you how good he was while he was sort of, uh, he really held the door open. He kept a ban on black players from coming down. Um, uh, it would have come down in 1927 if he hadn't held the door open, uh, but he kept it, uh, uh, the door open for other black players to enter the league. And uh, uh, he, he kept a, a ban from coming down. A ban on black players eventually did come down in the NFL, but not until two years after uh, Duke Slater retired. Um, but he had some great seasons with the Chicago Cardinals. Uh, probably his, his, best known claim to fame is um, in 1929 on Thanksgiving day, 1929, Ernie Nevers of the Chicago Cardinals uh, helped uh, the Cardinals beat the crosstown Chicago bears 40 to six and Ernie Nevers scored all 40 points. It is a single season uh, or excuse me, a single game scoring record in NFL history. Most points in a single game by any player, 40 points by Ernie Nevers in that game. It's a record that stood for, well, what is it? 90 years now. Duke Slater played the entire game. He's the only Cardinal lineman to play all 60 minutes of the game. And uh, a number of the post uh, game accounts credited uh, Duke Slater with being the, uh, uh, the man who, who kept the bare front uh, wobbly, as they said. Um, a lot of Nevers' gains came behind Duke Slater's blocking. And uh, that was probably uh, maybe his single greatest game or his single greatest moment um, in the NFL. But um, he, uh, he, he uh, played 10 seasons and then retired from the NFL. And then he used his law degree to start sort of the next chapter of his professional life. But, um, but uh, he had uh, some incredible moments. And, and again, he retired as a seven-time All-Pro, having played 10 seasons. Um, he, he had one of the longest careers in NFL history at the time of his retirement and uh, was really, truly one of the great players in the 1920s NFL. Well, that's uh, that is quite uh, a lot of accolades, and uh, definitely deserves to be in the Pro Football Hall of. One of the things that I, but, but I'll say this: one of the things that I'm really excited about is that the University of Iowa, my alma mater, which uh, uh, is kind of how I came into to Duke Slayer's story, they have done a tremendous job recognizing him and honoring him uh, at the University of Iowa. Uh, in 2019, uh, they decided to uh, put a, a relief of him, a uh, carve a relief of him on the side of the stadium, and it's it's several feet uh, wide, I think maybe 10 feet wide. It's a huge relief. And it depicts Duke Slater um, uh, blocking uh, three Notre Dame men uh, in that game against Notre Dame in 1921. And then uh, maybe his, uh, his, great, uh, his greatest honor from the University of Iowa came a couple of years later. Just last year, the University of Iowa uh, named their field at Kinnick Stadium, uh, Duke Slater Field. Uh, after Duke Slater. And uh, now if you watch Hawkeye football games uh, on television, you'll see uh, emblazoned on the field at Kinnick Stadium, you'll see Duke Slater Field uh, on the, uh, the field at Kinnick Stadium uh, where the Hawkeyes play football. And it's just a tremendous uh, honor, uh, a collegiate honor for him. Uh, and so uh, it's really, I think, given him a lot of exposure 
for Big Ten fans who, if you watch a, a Hawkeye football game at the University of Iowa, you'll see on television, you'll see Duke Slater Field on the field. And it's caused more than one person to say, who's Duke Slater? Who's, you know, who's that? And uh, it's been a great opportunity for people to learn his story that way too. So um, again, the, the honors that he's been receiving over the past five, 10 years have been just so exciting and so thrilling to me personally. And, and, and again, just so worthwhile for, uh, for a man with the achievements that he had. Well, that's, that's great. And you, just to think you're, you're a, a part of that, of helping people recognize that legacy. So, uh, you know, speaking of that, let's uh, get the opportunity to let's get and tell the t- name of your book and where people can pick it up at. Yeah. Um, uh, again, you said it's Duke Slater, uh, pioneering NF, uh, uh, pioneering black NFL player and judge, I believe it's the, uh, uh, published by McFarland and company. They picked the subtitle, which is, uh, uh, throws a lot in there at you, but, uh, but, but obviously all worthwhile, just search for Duke Slater and, um, and you'll find the book. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Barnes and Noble, or you can find it on my website. Uh, I'd love it if you came and, and visited my website and bought it off there, but it's, uh, dukeslater.com uh just uh just type in dukeslater.com and it'll get you there and you'll find all the information on duke slater and a way to purchase the book and um again just an 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 amazing guy again i i've i've talked with you for for this whole time and i feel like i throw a lot of information in there there's just there's so many facets of his life and so much you could talk about with the amazing man that he is that um uh it's it's just a thrill to tell his story there's just uh, so much to say about this incredible guy. And um, I, I love it when people have an opportunity to learn more about him because uh, he's really someone who lived uh, a life that's, that's very much worth remembering. Well, very well said. And folks, uh, we will have the information if you're in a car and uh, don't have a writing utensil on you in the show notes of this podcast and on pigskindispatch.com with the corresponding posts that we're going to have on there. We will have Neil's uh, website uh, to get you connected to him and to his book. And uh, again, he's he's touched a lot of the highlights of Duke Slater's career, but there's a lot of goodies inside there that uh, you'll really enjoy and appreciate uh, this man that, that played football almost a hundred years ago. So uh, Neil Rosendahl, thank you very much for joining us and spending time and sharing this great story about Duke Slater. No, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it and really appreciate it. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. 
Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.